Welcome to On Air with Amber Wynn, where nonprofit leaders learn to fuse passion and commitment with proven business strategies to create long-term funding, impact, and sustainability. And now, here's your host and resident philanthropreneur, Amber Wynn. Hey fam, it's Amber and I'm back again with another episode on the nonprofit success path. There are seven stages in this success path. It's the roadmap to nonprofit funding, consistent funding, and sustainability. And today we are talking about stage three, which is develop your programs. You know, I find it interesting a lot of times when well-meaning, well-intentioned founders start their nonprofits and they say, well, I'm going to start a nonprofit and I'm going to tutor young kids or I'm going to start a nonprofit and I'm going to teach people how to weld, whatever whatever the, the case is. And that's how they start. They go in and they get their three people for the board and they start their nonprofit. And when it comes time for actually completing the grant to get the money, that's usually when they figure out what their programs are. And so we don't want you to do that. We want you to go in powerfully. We want you to go in strong. And that means having really powerful, innovative programs. So today we're going to talk about developing your programs. But before we do that, we're going to um, pause for a second and hear from one of our sponsors. Do you have a tool that organizes your company's paperwork and takes care of all your record keeping? Does your current record keeping system send you 90 day alerts to remind you that your key documents are about to expire and need to be renewed? Can you find contracts and procurement opportunities in seconds from any of the 50 United States so you can grow your business? Is your business organized so that you can tell which key documents are needed to efficiently run the business? How about woman-owned, small business, or disadvantaged business enterprise certifications? Do you have a checklist of all the key documents you need to become certified? Does your current system allow you to conduct market research from multiple sources and provide you industry and market data in seconds? Well, Small Biz Pro does all of that and more. Small Biz Pro is the number one business management, compliance, procurement assistance and market research assistance tool on the market today download the app now and you will be amazed it's like having three additional employees working for you but you don't have to pay them what are you waiting for welcome back you're on air with amber and for those of you just joining we are talking about stage three of the nonprofit success path developing your programs your programs are the foundation of your organization. Without programs, you have nothing. Funders are not giving money to nonprofits because they have nothing else better to do. They are funding programs that are gonna make a difference in your community. And that's why today we're gonna talk about the key elements of a successful program. There are four things that your program must have. One, it must have structure. Two, it must yield results. Three, it must be unique, and four, it must be clear to the funders 
how they're going to see their ROI, their return on their investment. So that is really talking about impact. What are the essential elements of innovative programs? Because if you're doing the same tutoring program that the other four nonprofit organizations in the after school program are doing, then guess what? You're not going to get funded because funders are already funding someone doing that. So being innovative is important. So when we talk about the essential elements of innovative programs, you want to be able to talk about the change that your programs will produce. If you go in and you start this tutoring program or this etiquette program or whatever, whatever you're focusing on, what's the change that this space is going to see as a result of your intervention? People go in and say, oh, we're going to tutor. That's great. What are we going to get after your program is placed into this community? Are we going to get an increase in graduation rates? Are we going to get a decrease in dropout rates? Are we going to get an increase of college admissions? Are we going to get, uh, you know, an increase in GPA? Like, what should we see as a direct result of your programs being in this space, right? Last episode, we talked about the statement of need where you identified what the need was in this community, and we were talking about teen pregnancy then. So if we go with that, um, with that analogy, what would be the change in this space as a result of your being present? Well, we would see a reduction of pregnancies. We'd see an increase of young girls um, exploring careers, um, doing something meaningful from the, from the time two to six when they're normally getting trouble. So having a program be clear about what the change is going to be with the intervention there is key. Secondly, and you're going to have to fill this out on every request for funds, you need to know the program length, frequency, and duration. What does that mean? Length. Is the program going to last for 12 weeks? Is it going to be a six-month program, an annual, meaning a, a yearly program? So how long? Frequency. How often are you going to meet? Are you going to meet with them every day? Is it going to be once a week? And then finally, the duration. How long will you meet with them? If you're meeting with them once a week for 12 weeks, how long will you meet? Is it an hour? Is it a two-hour program? These are the questions that your funder is going to want to know. These are the questions that your clients are going to want to know. So you need to know going in, if you're creating this non-traditional program, how long it's going to be because that's going to determine the funding. It's going to be a difference if you're going to fund a 12-week program versus um, a year-long program, right? You're going to go from $15,000 to $150,000. So that's one reason why you need to know the length in the program. Then the other thing is, if you're looking to partner with people, you want to fill gaps. So maybe they don't have a program from the hours of two to six, and you can do that program for an hour, once a week or three times a week. But you need to know that so that when you're going into having those conversations, they can say, oh, this would fit here. You know, it's an hour long program or we need a three hour long program. But whatever the case, everyone's going to need to know the specifics of your program. The most, 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 most important thing that you need to have in a program are measurable goals. Measurable goals and actionable objectives, a goal and an objective. What's a measurable goal? 
So in order for a funder to be able to determine their, their return on investment, they need to know what the difference is between what is and then after, right? So when you go into this community, here what is, right? We've got 50%, 56% of all um, young girls under the age of 15 coming up pregnant. That's huge, but I'm just saying, right? That's what is. What's going to happen after your intervention? And that's how we measure the goals. Our goal is to decrease um, pregnancy rates by 15% within the year that we're serving them. And the reason why you have to have measurable goals is because as a funder, if I'm giving you money, I need to know at the end of the year, did you do what you say you were going to do? So it has to be measurable. You can't just go in and say, oh, yeah, we're going to tutor kids and they're, they're going to do better in school. How do you define do better in school? There has to be a baseline. So your goals need to be measurable. Doing better in school, meaning we're going to increase their reading literacy by two grades. That you can measure. When we say actionable objectives, the goal is the what, the objective is the how. So we're going to increase their um, reading level by two grades. How? We're going to work with them um, twice a week doing workshops. The how are the workshops. We're going to partner them up with mentors. That's the how. So actionable objectives and measurable goals. Those are essential. I have um, people say to me all the time, I don't think that funder likes me. They didn't fund me. I look at their goals and their objectives. I'm like, well, that's not measurable. I'm not going to give you $250,000 and I can't determine whether or not I'm going to get a, a return on my investment. So we tweak it and we make the goals measurable and we make the outcomes so where it's very clear what's being done. And then this is really huge, especially probably in the last, I'm going to say, seven years. Funders are looking for evaluations. Back in the 90s when life was good and Clinton was president and the money was flowing to social services, we could do things like narratives. We could say, I worked with a family and in the beginning, you know, the child was this and blah, 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 blah. Now the child is that. She's thriving. Like that was acceptable. Now funders want to know that when they invest their money, that there is a return. So they expect you to do things like to evaluate the program. Why, you ask? Well, for a number of reasons. If we can evaluate the program, if they really like it and you can demonstrate that there's some success, then they can continue to fund it. Or they can take what you're doing and they can replicate it in another community that's similar to yours. So having those evaluative measures can help them maximize their money. You know, this worked here, let's take it and let's move it over here, which very well may be an opportunity for you. But at the end of the day, you need to evaluate your programs. Evaluators are not cheap. So what can you do? Well, you can think about doing things like um, doing a pre and post test. What were the skills of these participants when you first started working with them? Did they know that there was a career potentially in podcasting or being an influencer or whatever, social media manager? Did they know about all of the opportunities? Oh my gosh, you can work on the board, you can produce, you can, you know, write the scripts. So before you ask them, how many um, careers are there in this field? And if they say, I don't know, one or two, that's your benchmark. 
And then after they've gone through your program, you administer the test again. And then they'll say, oh, no, there's 15. You can run the board. You can do the scripts. You can, you know. And so now that proves to the funder that there has been some gain, right, that there has been some growth, some knowledge skill growth. So you want to always be able to evaluate. And even if it's something as simple as a pre and post test, that works. When you start getting more money and your program starts to get a little bit more complicated, then you can afford academic evaluators who can come in and actually look at each part of your organization. But for now, doing pre-tests and post-tests, that's perfectly fine. You can even have them journal to talk about their experience. But you want to be able to demonstrate to your funder that there was a difference that was made in your program. Yes, you can talk about the grades. Yes, you can talk about those. But you want to be able to prove it. Skills before and skills after. You can also do things like provide success stories, right? You can have, um, you can record some of your clients and have them just talk about what their experience being in the program is like. Nothing is better than hearing it from the horse's mouth. I can say all day long, oh yeah, my clients are excited. Oh yeah, we've seen growth. But when someone gets on camera and they say, I don't know what I would have done without this program. Like I'm confident I would have been dead or I'm confident I would have been in jail or I had no idea that I had these many opportunities for my future and I'm so excited. You know, like I come alive in front of the camera. Like to have that type of testimony is amazing. And it's also, you know, emotional. So a funder watching that, that's amazing for them to experience. And that lets them know that they're getting a return on their investments. But then you can do very basic things too. Make sure you have sign-in sheets because sign-in sheets are documented proof that you're delivering a program. If you start off in the beginning and you had five kids who participated in your program, but by the end of the program you had 25 or 55, that's demonstrated proof that your program, number one, is growing. Number two, y'all must be doing something right. You keep growing in numbers, right? Um, so some kids are telling other kids or you're doing really great recruitment, whatever it is, documentation is the key. So when we talk about the essential elements of an innovative program, you want to look at what innovative means. If everybody is doing the same thing, then everybody's doing the same thing and it's not innovative. You can look at things like how can you, um, how can you meet the needs of your community? For example, single moms may have challenges getting their kids to, to daycare, right? So maybe you have a service while you pick up the kids and get them to daycare so that the moms can get to work on time. I don't know. I'm just making it up. But it's got to be something that sets you apart. Innovation is the key. We're going to talk a little bit more about how you can potentially innovate your program, but first, Let's start, stop for um, a sponsor break. And when we come back, we'll talk about innovation. Starting a new career in a new sector with unfamiliar job titles and new jargon can lead to frustration and burnout. What if you had an easy way to get up to speed to learn the key elements of successful nonprofits and the critical steps we should all take to maximize our impact? Introducing the Nonprofit Essentials Certificate, three short interactive courses that cover three critical areas. What makes a nonprofit a nonprofit? How nonprofits raise money? 
and skills needed to build a thriving career in the nonprofit sector. Interactive exercises and actionable advice from nonprofit experts help bring clarity to key concepts, and the end of the course exam tests your knowledge so you can earn a certificate and badge, and then quickly put your new knowledge into practice. The best part? The Nonprofit Essentials Certificate is 100% free. Thousands of learners have already earned their certificate, making this our most popular set of courses in Nonprofit Ready. Register at nonprofitready.org and get ready to accelerate your impact and your career. Welcome back to On Air with Amber. And it's your girl, Amber Wynn, philanthropist. And today we're talking about the nonprofit success path. There are seven stages in this roadmap to nonprofit sustainability. And today we're talking about stage three develop your programs. And at this point in, in the episode, we are going to go to Ask Amber, where you ask your most pressing questions and I answer them. Today, we're, we've got a question. How do I make my programs innovative? Earlier in the episode, we were talking about developing your programs and how to make them stand out. So this is the perfect question. How to make your programs innovative? Well, especially for startups, you come in, you're not sure what to do, you know you want to help, but you look around and there are other organizations that are doing the same thing. There are several things you can do to make your programs innovative. First of all, you can collaborate. People like to think that if someone's doing the same thing that you're doing, that they're competition. Actually, they're not. Your experience is different than their experience. Look at what it is that they're offering and see if there's a gap. See if there's a missing. So if I were to partner with someone who's doing nonprofit management, I would look to see if there's a missing. Maybe they can talk from the executive director's perspective. Maybe they can talk from the grant writer's perspective. I would come in and say, how about we partner? And I'll talk about the funder's perspective. So you look for the tutoring program and you can say, you guys are doing etiquette. You guys are doing um, SAT SAT prep, how about I talk about study skills? So that's one way to make your program innovative. Another thing you can do is who's delivering it? Maybe if um, you had an influencer who was actually you know, coming in and teaching parts of the course or coming in as a guest speaker, that would make it innovative. Everybody else is talking about how to do this career, but you have someone who's actually successful in the career coming in and either teaching the course or being guest speakers. You could also be the subject matter expert, right? Um, a lot of the times I resonate with my different audiences because when they hear that I'm from, you know, the same community from the hood and I'm I've accomplished the things that I've accomplished, they look at me differently, right? And so having that lived experience makes your programs innovative because you're coming from a place of knowing. You could also do things like partner with associations. If you're doing a tutoring program and you're working with uh, math, partner with an engineering association, a black engineering association, a Latino engineering so association, someone that your youth can look up to and relate to. And if they see black engineers, male engineers, that's going to inspire them. That makes it innovative because it's not just Amber, um, 
and whoever teaching it. It's people who are actually in the career that they want to aspire to. So do investigation, partner with engineers, partners with sororities and fraternities because they are in college, right? And they have, uh, as a part of their mission, they have to do community service. So it would be great to have them partner with someone who's not so far, you know, in, in, in age and they're in college. And so they're going to inspire those youth to actually go to college. What else? How about hands-on learning? You're not just in the classroom talking, but you're actually taking them into a studio or you're actually taking them to a plant where they can do little projects and be around people who are doing the work. That's innovative. And then how about traveling? You know, don't just stay in the room. Put them on a bus, put them on a van, take them to a different location. And then how about they create something, right? Have them walk away with a prototype. Have them walk away with a portfolio. These things are things that make your programs innovative. Um, and then lastly, how you deliver the program. We know that technology is everything right now. So maybe instead of delivering the program in the classroom, you've created an app where they can do it anywhere, right? You're going to do your assignments on the app, or you're going to do it online, you're going to do it on your phone, or maybe you create a program that you deliver as a game. I don't know, but these are the types of things that you can think about that's going to make your program look different than the other person's, that's going to make your program unique, that's going to make your program innovative. All right. So now is the time um, of the episode when I get to spotlight the most amazing people in the world, my nonprofits, uh, my nonprofit founders and executive directors. Today, we are highlighting, spotlighting St. Vincent's Meals on Wheels, which is a staple in L.A. County. Um, and what I have to say about them is I actually visited the site and this is a well-oiled machine. If you ever have the opportunity to visit Meals on Wheels and they show you their kitchen and they show you how they coordinate all of their volunteers, you will be so inspired. But don't let me tell you about it. Let's hear um, from St. Vincent's Meals on Wheels for yourself. Hello, this is Hal. I'm unable to answer the phone at the moment. Please leave your message after the beat. Thank you. My name is Harold Remen. I was born in Glendale, California, 1923. I have plenty of opportunity to get married, but I sort of bypassed it. I don't know why. I'm a volunteer for St. Vincent Meals on Wheels. Daily, I'll go out and deliver meals to seniors and to anyone else across Los Angeles who can't feed themselves. I'm so handicapped that I can't do anything. I depend a lot on other people to help me. Anthem is helping St. Vincent Meals on Wheels to be a constant in these seniors' lives. Meals on Wheels came at a time when I really needed it. It was a lifesaver. A lot of people say that the greatest gift is to give, and when you see the gratitude, it makes you want to keep coming back. We call it delivering love. Meals on Wheels is a blessing for me. It's taken away a lot of my worries. I used to worry a lot, but not anymore. I've pretty much taken care of it. 
So, yeah, please consider donating. Your, your contributions go a long way to ending food insecurities for seniors who often have to choose between eating a meal and paying for medication. So you can reach them at www.svmow.org or you can call them at 213-484-7775. And when I tell you that if you're concerned about where you donate your money, if if it's going to go to a great cause, if your resources will be stored, you will not have to worry with this organization. All right. So that's it for our spotlight for today. And now we're going to actually go into the next segment, which is Mindset Minute. And we're going to talk a little bit about how to make your programs innovative. We're talking about that. We've been talking about that all episode. And really what it comes down to is doing your research, right? People jump into starting a nonprofit because of a personal experience. I've had them say all the time, oh, no one's doing what I'm doing. And right while they're talking to me, I'll go on to Google. I'll put in the zip code that they're going to start their nonprofit organization, and I'll find like 10 organizations doing the same thing. You have to do your research. And the reason why you have to do your research is because it's tied to funding. If your area that you're planning on working in is saturated with organizations doing the same thing, you won't be competitive competitive enough to get any type of funding. Funders who have partnered with organizations who are delivering impact in their community, delivering a return on the funder's investment, why would they shift? Why would they change? So I'm saying to you that don't just jump into starting a nonprofit as if the money is sitting there waiting for you. Do your research. Know what's in your community. Know what the needs are. You may very well be able to do a tutoring program, but maybe not in the community that you're in. Maybe it's in another community that doesn't have the resources. And that way, at the end of the day, what we want for you as a nonprofit is long-term, consistent funding. We want sustainability. And that only happens if you understand what it is that you're jumping into, right? We want you to be competitive. Starting a nonprofit is just that. You're starting another organization. You're jumping into a pot of a whole bunch of competitors who've been doing it longer than you. So in this mindset minute, I want you to, to just shift from thinking that you can start a nonprofit and the money is going to come from you. I want you to think, I've got to do my research so that I'm setting myself up powerfully so that I can have the resources that I need to be successful because I want to serve my community. And so you may say, well, what if, what if the community is saturated, but this is what I want to do? You know, we've got some episodes back there on alternatives to starting a nonprofit. So maybe if you're really committed to doing what you want to do, you can partner with another organization. Provide them with the skill set that you have and enhance what it is that they're doing. Remember, you're not starting a nonprofit because you want to start your own business because this is something that's going to be yours. A nonprofit is a charity and you can never own it. So if you're committed to doing that one thing and the, and the community is already saturated with organizations already doing that thing, then you need to think about doing something differently or doing it in another organization. But you'll never know that if you don't do the research. So do the research, find out how many organizations are doing the same thing, and either do it in a different organization or do something differently. All right, so that's it for this episode. 
of the nonprofit success path where we talked about developing your programs. At the end of the day, you want to make sure that they're solid, right, that they have the infrastructure that funders are looking for, that they're innovative, that they're different than anybody else. But most of all, you want to make sure that you can quantify your outcomes, right, that they're measurable and they show an impact. Thank you for joining me today. I'm looking forward to seeing you next week. I have for you um, an ebook. It's called Developing the Nonprofit Infrastructure that will help you actually with developing your programs. And it walks you through how to determine what the length, what the, the frequency, and what the duration are. So I'm going to provide that as a link um, in, in the section below. You can check that out. And until next week, you be safe and be happy and do you, and I'll see you on the flip side. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. Head over to www.amberwin.net slash podcast for the links and resources mentioned in today's podcast. See you next time.